0: The week that we've just had has been rather extraordinary. The grief at the passing of our beloved Kelly, the grief of the Collins family and many others. Tempered, if I may say, by the glorious wedding yesterday of Lena to her beloved. Those two events those two events, if they don't teach us what to pray for, then I don't know what will. Go for a moment to the most glorious letter of Paul to Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, to the Thess- Thessalonian Christians. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. They had good memory, these men of God. They had wonderful memory. They knew the Christians everywhere by name. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Well, I suppose it's a reasonable question. What do we pray for? Given all that I've said already, I think we know. Paul had a reference there in the first letter to the Thessalonians of his suffering in jail in Philippi bound in the stocks and chains sitting in the dark and the filth and the stench with Silas singing and praying to God and God heard him, God heard them and wouldn't let them continue in 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 that environment. Paul's letter to Timothy, 2nd Timothy, an example of the prayer of a great man prior to his death. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me but to all those who love his appearing. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I've entrusted to him. What I want to say this morning is conditioned primarily by a view of God, God the Father, that Jesus portrayed for us in the in the parable of the prodigal son. I want you to focus on the Father. This is an image from Rembrandt. Focus on the Father. He knew he knew from a long way off that his son was returning. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And their prayers will be heard by God, and heard, and action will be taken. I want to draw a principle based on this image of God the Father, taken from John chapter 15. John chapter 17, I beg your pardon. This to me is the Lord's Prayer. It's not the one uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Lord's Prayer. The one in the Sermon on the Mount is primarily an example prayer. But John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave thanks to God for the unity that he had. gave, gave thanks in prayer for the unity that he had with God right from the beginning. And right from the beginning of his service, here on earth. Now this image is taken from a 2003 film about the life of Christ with words taken directly from the book of John. I don't know to whom to give the copyright credit so I left it out. Jesus in his prayer also thanked God for the unity that his disciples had with Jesus and with God. While I was with them I kept them safe by the power of your name. He also thanked God for those who would hear the word and believe in Jesus and God through their word that they all may be one. I do not ask for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you Father are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me." That's a prayer. Now Jesus was about to die, like Paul in 2nd Timothy was about to give his life. What was written then and what uh written by paul and what was written uh, was spoken by jesus and recorded for our benefit rather important people just before their death are likely to say things which are reasonably important be wise to heed them jesus prayed for all those who would believe on the word of the disciples Now that principle is this, our prayers should be directed with that in mind, that principle in mind. Everything that we do and say and act upon should be directed with that principle that Jesus portrayed or gave us in John chapter 17. Now, think back for a moment to our prayers here last Sunday. Think back to the scope and the depth of those numerous prayers and be glad, because they're pretty much all in accordance with this principle, maybe with one or two exceptions those of you who remember our beloved Warren Holyoke from years ago, Warren's repeated teaching that service come to, comes to mind, service and love in Christ come to mind in prayer. And the, as you pray and the the thoughts of service come to mind, that leads to action. And the reason is well known to you Philippians chapter 2. Bear with me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in Ephesians, try to discern what the will of the Lord is. We can't do that without prayer, without knowing the scriptures, and with the good counsel, without the good counsel of people. We love us. Now uh, if I may say I don't think I can add anything more of value uh, and it would be a good point for me to sit down but that may upset one or two people. Uh, anything I say beyond now is really just elaboration. And uh, these, they are things that are, you know very well. Take, for example, the prayer, the, the pattern prayer, the example prayer in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said to the people, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and so on. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. He told the, disciples, the the people there, including the disciples, to pray as if they were like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, utterly dependent upon God our Father. Utterly dependent upon God our Father your will be done on earth as it is in heaven they were walking in the valley of the shadow of death he told them to, jesus told them to pray without ceasing and don't forget jesus prayer in the garden of gethsemane let this cup pass from me i can't handle this but your will be done. And his statement to the disciples go therefore, go therefore and teach all nations. There is another example, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18 both at prayer in the temple. It's one of Jesus' great teaching stories. The tax collector went quietly to the one place, the one place he knew he could draw close to God, the temple. He was probably not the best of men, as we suspect, His life was not faithful to either God or his fellow travellers in life. But standing quietly there out of the way, he prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he returned to his house justified in God's eyes. Now, several months ago I used this story in a Bible study with a group of men drawn from a wide range of believing denominations. There was one chap there who unbeknown to, quite unbeknown to me, his life was a bit out of whack. I said in this example that it was very likely that God would give him the resources, the wherewithal, uh, beg your pardon, give the Pharisee, uh, the tax collector in the parable, the wherewithal to go home and change his life. This man's life in the study, in the Bible study was also out of whack, unbeknown to me. I said those who seek God seek Jesus Christ. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. And the reason you know, Philippians chapter 2, and verses 12 and 13. So God may use you at his discretion, wherever you are, because you happen to sensibly know the scriptures and you've spent a bit of time thinking or meditating about them and faithfully trusting in the grace of God. Now, the moderator of that particular Bible study came up to me afterwards and said to me, what you said um, was just what old Graham there needed. Just what old Graham needed. And it was, in in fact, in answer to prayer by the moderator who happens to be a a baptised Believer. Now at that stage a cautionary note rose in my mind. It's the story of the unworthy servant in Luke chapter 17 verse 10. Having done all that was required by the Master you can simply say I've only done what's required of me, nothing more nothing more it may boost my ego perhaps to think that I have been had been of service in this particular Bible study but then I'd be going down the wrong path and simply intend or wish to be as the servant you've only done the will of God just as required of you Now the other man in this story in the temple, the Pharisee, he trusted only in himself. His prayer was no doubt also heard by God. But it wasn't effective. Yes, of course God used him and many others like him as tools in the life of Jesus leading to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now apart from that, those people were simply irrelevant. They always were irrelevant, except as far as they helped to keep society orderly. And then their end was not to be pleasant or desirable. It never is. He trusted only in himself. Then there was the parable of the men given the talents use in the master's service. The third chap trusted only in himself and didn't understand the master's character, Matthew chapter 25. Accounting for himself at the end he had the gall to say to the master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went. I hid. And there you have it. I knew. I was afraid. I went and hid. The Master said to him, if that's all you thought of me, if that's as little as you thought of me, you should at least have managed the money putting it in the in the bank for proper use. Now little good could be said for that man. What I'm saying here is uh, do you imagine that the Word of God is unaware of the thoughts and intents of our hearts and will not give the aid that we prayerfully and trustingly seek? would he not support prayerfully I beg your pardon would he not support prayerful godly efforts and don't forget he promised such aid to the apostles and through them to us too Joshua chapter 1 is a prominent verse that is floating around on the internet and in congregations and even in here in the school. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Most of the time it's missing the point. We've even sung this particular song here. Be strong and courageous, but most of the time it's missing the point. Because the first part of Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you? That's my command. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make all disciples of all nations. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. A prominent preacher of the gospel said to me a couple of years ago, I need all the prayer I can get. So what about us in our daily lives? Psalm 104, which we've used here a number of times, thankfully. Man goes out to his work and to his labour until the evening. All creatures wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. My point is that we are all pensioners, all of us deriving a benefit from God. Now, the routine that's described there in verse 23, man goes out to his work and to his labour until the evening could be seen as rather tedious. Well, we've got to go back to work there. Get up and go out and labour. But with your God-given curiosity about the world and the world around, her, around you, you may see in your labour uh, what is how, how, how the world of God actually works. God said to Job, have you not considered all these things in my creation? Have you not thought about them? Jesus said to the disciples, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Consider them and in your consideration you may learn how to do things better, how to make things grow better, how to make things prosper better for the sake of all mankind. Um, And there are several here, several in our congregation who I think are extraordinarily blessed. won't name you, but you're extraordinarily blessed because you're in a position to do just that. Observe the world around you. Do things better. Think of ways to do things better, but only if it's given first of all in service to God. If you don't give it first in service to God, you're still likely to be extraordinarily blessed. But in the end, your efforts will be vain. Well, that's all very well. But what about the times of extraordinary Drudgery and problems which we all face. Think for a minute about the book of Ruth. That young widowed woman and her beloved mother-in-law Naomi gained the providence of God gained the providence of God after they had suffered much loss, including the loss of their husbands. Three men, three providers, Naomi in a foreign land. How how were they to survive? It's only by great difficulty until they called back to memory how things were in Naomi's beloved Bethlehem. Things were better there then. She said to Ruth, go home to your own people. Ruth said, no, I'm coming with you. Through their extraordinary hardship Naomi continued in her prayerful attitude. Now Ruth went with her and she is now in the direct ancestry of Jesus. She didn't need teaching to let her light shine for all to see. We're not really privy to the prayers of Ruth and Naomi but all of Bethlehem knew of Ruth's love and devotion. Not only that, Naomi was an extraordinarily shrewd mother-in-law and uh, worked things so beautifully, so brilliantly, so that Ruth and Boaz were soon married. Now God may have said, well this is pretty good, look at that shrewdness, that love. I want this in the ancestry of my son, through Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now Jesus may, in Luke chapter 18, may have in fact used the, Ruth and Naomi as the in the parable of the persistent widow, don't ever stop praying. Don't ever give up. The similarities there with Ruth and Naomi are remarkable. Keep going in prayer. I mentioned drudgery. There by the pool of Beth- Bethesda where his blind, lame, crippled including one man who'd been there for 38 years. Think of it, 38 years. Now, I don't know how they were sustained during all that time, how he was sustained. I don't know enough about the daily workings of the people in Jerusalem, but it's likely that gifts in the temple were used for their sustenance. When Jesus knew that one one man had been there a cripple for 38 years, he healed him. He healed him. And it happened to be on the Sabbath, but that's that's an aside. My point is twofold. Those who sustained them seemed not to have thought well, this poor bloke's been there for a long, long time. How can we help him better? And those other blind and crippled and lame, when the pool was was stirred by the angel of God, they dived into it as fast as they could, leaving the poor crippled behind. Did they not once think to themselves, we've got to give this bloke a fair go? We don't know, but it's likely that not once did they think, let's get this black affair going, let him get down there first to be healed by the angel of God. So, Jesus knew all that. Jesus healed him, saying to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And then we have the story of uh, Jesus teaching about the final judgment in Matthew chapter 25. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? And the king will answer answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. They didn't know what they were doing was a service to God. They just did it. It is fundamental to their very being. They just did it. They didn't have to be taught. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit and so on. So ladies and gentlemen, Good Samaritan, another example. We come to fully to the Son of God. And it's about the Son of God that I've been speaking. This morning, all along, it's about the Son of God. And his knowing us. Wanting the best of us, expecting us to work in his vineyard. At this point, I can do little more, little better than to read from C.S. Lewis from about 70 years ago. What are we to make of Jesus Christ? There's no question of what we can make of him, it's entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. The things he says are very different from what any other teacher has said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you ought to go. But he says, I am the truth and the way and the life. He says, no man can reach absolute reality except through me. Try to retain your own life and you will be inevitably ruined. Give yourself away and you will be saved. He says, if you are ashamed of me, if when you hear this call you turn the other way, I also will look, look the other way when I come again as God without disguise. If anything, whatever is keeping you from God and from me, whatever it is, throw it away. If it's your eye, pull it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. If you put yourself first you will be last. Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load. I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid I have overcome the whole universe. That's the issue. God said to Joshua, I've commanded you, don't be afraid. Now, Paul the Apostle was given time with Felix the Governor and his wife, who was a Jewess. In Acts 24, it's recorded for us, Paul reasoned with with the governor about righteousness, self-control and the coming judgment. Felix got a bit excited. He got a bit upset and troubled and said, go away, but I'll call you again. He also was a lover of money and expected Paul to be paying him. Some more convenient day on the Isle of Corps was the old song we no longer sing. And from Proverbs 24, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? I disagree with the idea that we can't mix politics with our Christian service. And a quote that came to me from our beloved Kerry: "It is easier to be pro-choice regarding abortion when you are not the one being killed." Society is in the grip of great paganism. As we, now that. Proverbs chapter 24 could be, could be taken in just about every aspect of our lives and our dealings. I've just chosen one the politics of abortion it's not a verse that we've presented before but please keep it in mind as well